Hey, hey, I'm Jimmy Bullard, and this is me old muck of Venus. We're back together, son. How are you? Hey, Bully, great to be back working with you. What are we doing here, though? We're starting a football club in podcast form. The only thing we know, it's called FC Bullard. After that, it's all up for grabs. So, we haven't got any players, we haven't got a kit, we haven't got a club badge, we haven't got a stadium. Correct. FC Bullard. Welcome to the club. This is a crowd podcast. This episode is sponsored by Alex Myatt. Alex's favourite egg-based meal is scrambled. To be more like Alex, go to patreon.com forward slash Joe Marler Show and grow the show. Joe Marler is a big-hearted man and he's got a podcast plan. It's the Joe Marler Show. It's the Joe Marler Show. Oh, oh, oh. Hello and welcome to our show. I'm Joe Marler and this is Tom Fordyce. Why did I start all right and then start talking like a newsreader? I quite like it though, so I'll do it from the top. Hello and welcome to our show. I am Joe Marler and this is Tom Fordyce. How are you, Tom? I'm all right. You're back in the van, aren't you? I can tell. It's my. I, I don't call it my van anymore. I call it my studio. I thought you were talking about the skip that I've got parked on my drive. It's my thing that I do during lockdowns. I just hire skips and we just clear out different rooms. Lovely. Yeah. So we've got the the caravan is for charity shop stuff, and that's currently full until we can deliver them. And the skip is full of rubbish. This stuff that you're going to give to charity, I don't know if it might make a nice... Is there sort of three items that people could perhaps bid for? Um, Potentially, Tom. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah, good. That's good from you. Uh, Next recording we do, I'll make a list of stuff that potentially some listeners might want. And I can't open my banana. Why is that? I don't know. I've been watching you. Because what you've done is you've gripped the stalk at the top and you've attempted to twist it back. Is that not how you open yours? If you watch a monkey, they, what they do is they get their nails halfway down the skin and then open it like they're opening a cardigan. They don't go for the twist at the top. Oh, wow. That's a really interesting way of opening a banana. I'll try that next time. Can I ask you another question? Because you referenced the skip in the background. Sometimes you find yourself, don't you? You're walking down the street and you might be eating a banana or you might have eaten all you want to eat from an apple. And then you're suddenly thinking, oh, what am I going to do with this apple core? What am I going to do with this piece of banana peel? And you will sometimes see a skip where do you stand on this moral conundrum? Because some people just lob it in. It's a skip, mate. Just stick it in there. Other people, if they were inside the house, let's say you're going to turn around now in your van, you see someone who's eating a banana and they've lobbed their peel in your skip. How are you feeling about that? Uh, if they've lob- lobbed their peel in my skip, um, I'm happy with it. They can, you know, it's a free-for-all. And they've also had to have a hell of a throw to get it over the gate. And in the middle of the, like, it would have been perfect. Like this morning out the back door, I had a really stinky nappy that I put in the nappy bag. And I thought, I'm not going to walk over to the skip and put it in there. I'm going to attempt to throw it from my back door. And mate, I nailed it. It went straight. It was swish. I mean, albeit Ah. it's a giant skip and a tiny smelly poo. But it's just the feeling of satisfaction. Anyway, if I'm walking by, I'm, I don't know, is it illegal to chuck an apple core or a banana skin in the bush it's a tricky one isn't it because yes they're both biodegradable but i've got a feeling that banana skins biodegrade very slowly hold on let me just check (laughs) banana steve is this a longer chat than you were kind of expecting for the paramedics oh joe oh tom you won't believe this see if you can get 
to within, I'm going to give you a two-month window of the period of time it takes for a banana peel to biodegrade. Nine months. Joe, the answer is 24 months. That's two years, Joe. Two years. Why is it? Why have you said 24 months? Let's not think about how the news was delivered, but more the fact at the heart of that message, which is it's two years to decompose. So if you're taking your banana skin and you're just, even if you're draping it like a little cheeky Christmas decoration in a nearby bush, it's going to be there for two years, Joe. Yeah, and I think that's out of order, actually, and also illegal to do. So that's why I don't do it. I just put mine in someone else's dustbin or skip that I see on my daily walk. Joe, much as I've enjoyed our skip chat, an email has come in, which may be my new favourite email of our entire time together. Right, this uh, is a message from a listener who cannot be named. He says, I was recently on jury service and was actually talking about the Joe Marler show in the jury room, exclamation mark. The court case was all serious as it was manslaughter and it was truly upsetting. But the court didn't tell us or prepare us in any way for the contents of the CCTV footage. The location of this incident was a bar slash club known for its stag slash Hindus. There were fucking Oompa Loompas everywhere. And I was crying inside thinking, fuck off, you have to prepare me for shit like this. <laughs> <laughs> they kept referring to the Oompa Loompas throughout the trial. And at one point, I thought they were going to bring some in as a witness. <laughs> this got me thinking, this would be the perfect crime. All dressed up and you couldn't be identified. I'll go along with it and say that that's true. And that is mental. I love it a lot. Um, and sticking with the Oompa Loompas, we're still trying to break into the chocolate factory, aren't we, Tom? Yes, we are. Willy Wonkers, yes. So this is a message from Adam Brown on Twitter. I don't believe he lives on Twitter, but he sent the message via Twitter. And this is how he would do it. I think it's obvious. Strip naked, cover myself head to toe in chocolate. Hundreds and thousands covering my nads to keep it PG. Then I'll just wait until one of them little orange bastards carries me in. That's fine, Joe, but this this point where he says that he's got hundreds and thousands covering his nads to keep it PG, it's still fundamentally his cock and balls and it's covered with hundreds and thousands. Like It's not a legitimate way to cover them up. Having read it, <laughs> having read it and not taking it in because I, I was just reading it, now I'm taking it in and picturing someone head to toe in... <laughs> they've just gone under one of those chocolate fountains, like a chocolate waterfall. They're covered... And his cock and balls is just glittering with hundreds of thousands. <laughs> this is this is the furthest thing from PG you could get. Adam Brown, bad idea, bad idea, bad idea. Well, maybe this is a better idea. This is a message from Danny Smith, Joe, on Instagram. Danny says, I'd crawl in through the sewage system and pop up through a manhole cover inside the gates. I'd be covered in poo. So if anyone questions it, I'll tell them I fell in the chocolate river trying to rescue a chubby German lad. I'd then say I'm on my way to the shower block for a hose down. Did you ever watch Dogma with Ben Affleck and uh, Matt Damon? Is that the one with Alanis Morissette playing God? Yes, that's the one. And there was a scene in it um, where a massive shit monster comes out the toilet um, <laughs> and they have to kill him at the end. And that's sort of what I'm picturing. I don't think that's viable, I'm afraid, Danny Smith. I appreciate the effort that's gone into it. In fact, I don't actually, there's not a huge amount of effort. That's three and a half sentences you've written. So just thank you for your input, but not much effort. You can do better. We've also had this message, Joe, from Matt Fires, and I like this already. I'd kneel into a pair of trousers so that my feet are tucked up at the thigh end and then tie shoes around my knees. Get orange face paint, green wig, clipboard and a suit, and then claim 
I'm from the Oompa Loompa Union. I'm here regarding work conditions. If they look scared, then I proceed. If they don't look fast, then I know they're open to bribes. Much better. Much better effort. And I like the idea of fancy dress because I always like dressing up in stuff. So I would like to invite Matt round my house when lockdown's over to have tea and biscuits in my caravan. We can dress up. He can dress up as the Oompa Loompa and I will dress up as Bane from Batman. And we will have tea and biscuits together. And then when Matt leaves, he can take a half full box of charity shop stuff from the caravan with him. Uh, shall we? <laughs> the issue that I've got is the, the facial wear that we're familiar with, Bane. Can he get tea through that? Uh, facial gubbins? Are you going to get a biscuit through there? Oh, the biscuit I'll probably have to mash up into like a soup. Have you ever had biscuit soup? No, it doesn't sound great. Oh my God. I've been looking like it's half term, which we were yearning for. And so were the kids to actually stop homeschooling for a week. But then we're like, actually, what are we going to do now? We've got no structure to our day at all. And we can't just plop the kids in front of the TV for 11 hours. So what are we going to do? And now we've just come, I know what I'm going to do. After recording this, I'm going to go in there and make biscuit soup with the kids. And it's going to be fucking phenomenal. I can feel my mouth watering already. Oh, Joe, that does sound delicious. What is your, what is the secret Joe Marler recipe for biscuit soup? Because it's perhaps something that all our listeners can enjoy and maybe post some pictures of them enjoying their biscuit soup. Seeing as this is the first time making biscuit soup, I'm going to go with trying to remember what's in my cupboard or fridge. So we have got some M&M chocolate bar, you know, like the the, the chocolate bar, not M&M's, but the M&M chocolate bar. I mean, it's in the name. I don't know why I'm describing it to you or holding my hands up to make the shape. Um, we've got some Malteser chocolate bar in there as well. Mm. Not technically biscuits, I know, but I'm getting on to that. I've got some shortbread fingers. <laughs> Imagine having fingers made of shortbread. I'd do it if they grew back every day. Yeah. But obviously it's stupid if you've got them and then, because you know, I'd like... Oh. Would you rather have shortbread fingers or chocolate fingers? Shortbread, I think they're more practical. Could you bind at the scrum with chocolate fingers? You'd need a cold day. I would tuck them into my opposition's just side waistband of it and hope that they stay. And if they don't and then my bind goes to ground and the referee looks to penalise me... I oh, will well, simply just offer him a shortbread finger. Joe, should we get our paramedic on? Yeah, Nino, Nino. Our guest today is a paramedic and his name is Steve Pawley. Is this a wind-up? Nope. Steve, is that your real name? Uh, it's my real name, yeah. Is that spelled as in, oh, I'm feeling poorly, or is it spelled, oh, I'm from Crawley? <laughs> <laughs> as in from Crawley, P-A-W, yeah. Can anyone answer a generator anywhere? I think it's my fish tank. Right, that's what it is. Don't kill your fish for this show. Uh, I can try it. I'll try it. Hang on. Right, we've just had to have a conversation with producer Steve, where Steve has asked our guest Steve to turn off what Steve producer considered was a slightly annoying buzz in the background. Guest Steve, it's the oxygenator for your fish tank. So if we see, like, what is a fish in distress, Joe? <coughs> Uh, turn them, turn the tank back on, please. Turn. I don't know why they're <laughs> Irish fest. I always go to Ireland. 
Turn the tank back on now, man. I don't know why I'm gone pirate as well. Yeah, fish are going to be more like pirates. Turn, turn the tank noise back on because it was helping us breathe, man. Could you, Steve, with your paramedic training, if one of your fish were to get into distress, could you step in? Yeah, I guess that would be a drowning. So, yeah, I guess I could. I've never, I've never resuscitated a fish before, <laughs> but I'd have a go. Also, they're, they're my wife's fish, so she'd be more angry at me. Um, I'm going straight. In, I'm going straight in with it. Here it is with one of my favourite questions that we've had in from some listeners of the show. Believe it or not, um, and it's Zach, spelt with a C, not a K or a CH, just Zach. What's the weirdest thing you've ever found a bloke with their knob stuck in? <laughs> I, I, you know, honest truth, I've never had that. You've never been called out to someone with a knob stuck in something. No, no, I haven't. Like. I am waiting for that job to come in. There's a few jobs I really want to do in my career. That is one of them, just to write it on on our report form. Would you say that that's your Everest? No, my Everest is to go to a patient in one of those blind-out massage parlours like, and then have that conversation being like, oh, is, is this your next of kin? And then see the bloke's face. And <laughs> that's, that's, what I want. that's my Everest job. I'd love that. It'd be great. When I was at school, there was this video that was going around or this myth that I thought was going around about this guy called One Man, One Jar. And I was like, what the fuck is One Man, One Jar? What is One Man, One Jar? And me and a couple of mates finally managed to get a hold of this video. And it was a man, that you don't, a faceless man. You don't see his face. You just see him. He had a face though, did he? he did, I, I guess he did. I didn't see it. I only saw his bottom half, which was completely naked. And it's the cameras angled, so you just see him slowly squatting down onto a glass jam jar, and his butthole completely swallows this glass jam jar. And you think, "Oh Jesus Christ, it can't get any worse. This is this is horrific. What is going on?" And then all of a sudden, you just hear, and. It shatters. I've seen that video. Yeah, there you go. I knew it. I knew. I could see in Steve's eyes. He was like, I'm well aware of what he's talking about here. Um, yeah. And it is horrific, mate. Imagine being that guy. Tom, Tom, what are you saying? If you're ringing up the paramedic going, ring, 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 ring. Hello, uh, Mr. Fordyce. How can I help you? What seems to be the problem? Yeah, I'm just, I've got a bit of an issue. I was just making some marmalade and I was in the early stages where I was just getting the jars lined up and i've slipped i haven't i haven't got the oranges out yet because i always get the jars ready first so there's no oranges when you arrive here or um saucepans out but and there's only one jar because i do artisan marmalade so i just i've small batch producer and i've slipped on the jar and there's been an accident please come quickly because my bottom's bleeding so you've you've slipped on it and you, you've cut your your buttocks, your cheeks, or something. You've you've cut your leg or something. Is it? You yeah, just a bit in between. Not you're getting warmer. What would you What would you be saying to that, Steve P? Stevie P? Poorly, Steve. <laughs> like when we get sent jobs, we get a thing called an MDT in front of our ambulance. It's like a little computer screen. It comes up with like a name, age, mail, rough address, and then a rough description of what's going on. They just picturing like on the MBT, it'd be like male, broken glass jar in bum. And you'd be like, hmm, I haven't done this one yet. This would be an interesting job. All right. One for, for note taking, I guess. Learning experiences and such. We had a question, Joe, come in from uh, Mr. Teague on Twitter. I don't know why he's being so formal. It sounds like he's someone's head teacher or something. <laughs> he wanted to know, Steve, the most ridiculous call out you'd had. And the reason he wanted to know 
was he said his mate's a paramedic and someone called an ambulance because they were hung over on Christmas Day and needed paracetamol. Yeah, I've, I've had someone ring me up for being hung over before, yeah. Uh, Tom, can I, I need to pick you up on that. You keep doing this, you keep pronouncing stuff wrong. You've just said paracetamol is paracetamol. Steve, what's the definitive on this, please? Paracetamol. <laughs> Thank you, Steve. You've answered that correctly. Well done. Didn't we have a winner winner chicken dinner. What is the most ridiculous call out that you've ever had? Uh, I've got called out once to someone who had sunburn on the head. That came through as like a cat one emergency. It was like four o'clock in the morning. So we go to this guy's house and he's like, My head's bleeding, my head's bleeding, it's blistering, it's blistering. And it was like slightly red. And we're like, What do you want to do? He's like, make, make the pain go away, make the pain go away. We're like, um, Have you got any aloe vera? <laughs> I don't know what you want me to do. I have no idea. <laughs> Tell me the truth, and it has to be immediately. You can't think about it. When you first passed to become a paramedic, did you cheat and put the blue lights on when you shouldn't have just to miss traffic or go for a red light? Honesty no. call, three, no. two, one, go. No. You're lying. He's a liar. Tom, he's a liar. <laughs> <laughs> Genuinely, no. No, because like, well, when you first put your blue lights on, we do, um, we do like three or four weeks blue light driver training. So we're just hounding around on blue lights anyway. So go to a real job now. You get fired for that stuff. Yeah, but how would they know? Our ambulances are tracked. They know when we've got lights on, how fast we're going, when we're braking. They know our fuel level. And they know everything about it. The very first time that you put the sirens on, I know you have these four weeks before you go out on the road, but the first time you're in training and someone goes, Steve, hit the switch. Mm-hmm. What's that like? It is cool. So I, I qualified in, I went to the University of Surrey in Guildford and we're basically hounding around Surrey on blue lights and it's completely different because you've been dri- driving around your entire life abiding the law we are still abiding the law on blue lights but <laughs> traffic laws and then all of a sudden you can press this, this magic red button and then you can go through red lights slowly you can like speed faster than normal you can like overtake people through the main street and stuff like that so it's, it's a very cool situation I don't think I'll ever get bored of it I think if I get bored of blue lights I think I have to knock on the edge of paramedic and try something new just out of interest, Steve, like if I'm sitting in your driver's seat, where is the magic switch? Where am I reaching? So it depends on what vehicle we're on. Because we have two different vehicles. We drive Mercedes Sprinters and Volkswagen Transporters. On Transport, it's up top. And on the Sprinter, it's down on the dash. We've got like a little panel, which has got like full 999 mode. We've got arrive scene. We've got side lights. Press that little 999 button on the, on the panel. And away you go. I have set the sirens off by accident before, though, because we've got bullhorns on our vans. But they're only activated when the sirens are on. So you can turn the sirens on alone to press the bullhorn because our horns are really crap. And I've accidentally, like, someone's cut me up and I've pressed the, the steering bullhorn and it set the sirens off. I'm like, oh, shit, shit, shit. Like, try and turn them off. You know? <laughs> is, is, um, this might be a really silly question, actually, but does a, is the ambulance Ninor the same as the police Ninor and the fire engine Ninor? Are all the Ninors the same Ninors? No, I think they're different. Each what each ambulance we've got has got three different sounds. Is it? Give us a quick demo. Ambulance sound one. Uh, <laughs> Ambulance sound two. <laughs> That's like it's broken. Ambulance sound <laughs> three. <laughs> Steve, you've not really committed to them. <laughs> you've not really committed to them at all. Each of them do different things. Like, the two-tone one is when you're going on a straight road, it projects the sound further. The second one is, like, if you're going through cities, it spreads out wider. And the third one, I don't know what the third one's for, actually. I don't know. 
<laughs> That's the shittest one anyway. You don't need to know. Joe, I'm going to say to you, Ambulance Sound 4, and I would like you to come up with a better sound for an ambulance, okay? Yep. And Joe, what's uh, what's number four? What's Ambulance Sound number four? Get out of the way. We need to get somewhere really quickly. Move out of the way. Because there's always this. This isn't this. That was it now. I'm, I'm not still going. This isn't part of the Nino still. Because there's always those drivers that don't get out of the way. That you're like, mate, are you having a laugh? There's a fucking ambulance. Like, why can't you see it? Get out of the way. Or uh, the other drivers that piss me off are the ones that get out of the way really quickly, but then go straight up your ass to be like, oh, I'm going to get wherever he's going really quickly and take advantage of this. And I'm like, you motherfuckers. People follow you. It really pisses me off, especially if you're going for, I live in Bristol and like we have drive through the centre of Bristol and rush out traffic. People will sneak in behind you and try and get through traffic. So we normally just slam on the anchors and tell them to stop following us. Other times people just stop. You see an ambulance and they just stop. And that's really annoying as well. How fast are you allowed to go, Steve? Right, let's say we're in a 30. By the guidelines on, my, on Southwestern Ambulance Service, we're allowed to go speed limit plus 50%. So hang on, I'm trying to work that one out. So if you're on an A road, you're going 60 plus 30. <laughs> so it's 90. You can go 90 on an A road. Is that right? That's punchy. Yeah, yeah. And if you're on a, if you're on a, if you're on a motorway. 105. 105. But does that make you an amazing driver, Steve? Like your ambulance driving skills, can they sort of be transferred into your into your Steve P personal life? Yeah, I guess so. Like we do, say so we do four weeks blue light driving, convoy driving, we do four by four and we do all-terrain vehicle driving as well in the future. Sorry, my, my dog's in the background yapping. Sorry. It's the dog. It's the, the dog is probably yapping because it's seen some fish floating to the surface of your tank oh, and it's fancied not. a little bit of tea. <laughs> I hope not. Steve, the fish have drowned and fish can't drown, can they? Do fish drown? I don't know. Oxygenates the air, doesn't it? So if they haven't got any oxygen, then I don't so know. they suffocate. Don't know. So anyway, we've, we've gone very much off task. What, Steve, why, why did you become a paramedic then? If it, if it wasn't because of your name and it wasn't because you wanted to cheat at um, the blue lights and just get places really quickly, why? What, what made you want to go, right, I want to be a paramedic? Originally, I wanted to be a fisherman like my dad, and um, my dad actually fired me from his fishing boat. <laughs> he said he said um, I was too intelligent, and he wanted me to do more, so he fired uh-huh. me. Um, so then I went to Norwich, and I started doing um, diploma in medicine to go and become a doctor. And one of the girls up there, we went out for a few night shifts to get some experience, and um, we went to car crashes, went to full-on bar fights, like people being thrown all over the shop. And I was like, right, this is what I want to do. And so I, I changed to paramedics and um, I haven't done a night like that since. Is is there any beef between paramedics and doctors and nurses in that lot? Because, like, what do you say to those that say, well, you're just a glorified taxi driver? That is, do not shoot the messenger. It's purely asking the question that, well, you, you're just you're just the guys that go and pick them up and then bring them to the hospital for the real for the real doctors to to work on them. What do you say to that? Sometimes I am just purely a taxi driver to take somewhere in. Other times you've got to work pretty hard to make sure they do get to the hospital in, in a reasonable state. I think nurses, they get smashed at the hospital. Doctors are getting slammed in the hospital as well. We're getting slammed on the road. We're all in it together. As much as a cliche as that sounds, like we are a team. 
Do you, right, we're going to get into some serious stuff as well, Steve, because you see some things that, that Joe and I have never seen. But have you got, in the same way as we talk about a doctor having a certain bedside manner, as a paramedic, let's say, for example, Joe has, or one of, I've called, in fact, I've called an ambulance for Joe because he's been making marmalade and he's slipped and he's cut his arm badly. So Joe is sitting on the floor with, he thinks his rugby career's over because he's, you know, his lovely fingertip passing might be at risk. I've called you, you're knocking at the door, you run into Joe. What are you saying? All right, guys, how's it going? I'm Steve with the Eminent Service. Why are we here? What's, what's going on? Ah, my arm, my arm. You, what do you mean? What's going on? You can't see me, me aorta. No, me. Oh, fuck. What's the big vein in my arm, Steve? Can we just go out a role play? Tell me what the big name in my arm. The arteries? Oh, I've got my arm. Can't you see me arteries? My breaker rule is, is split. Do something about it. Uh, well, if, if you split your, your breaker artery, you'd be bleeding out quite quickly. So you'd have to probably put a tourniquet on. So that's quite a serious incident. But if it's, if you just cut your arm back, <laughs> I'd have to put pressure on. I'd have to like squeeze into your, into your arm, try and stop the bleeding that way and then put a tourniquet on, tighten it up, stop the bleeding and reassure you, give some pain relief. Give me the Morphine! Where's the morphine? I want the morphine. Give me some oromorph. You got any oromorph? Got any oromorph? Well, we do have oromorph, yeah. Yeah, give me some of that. Have you got any allergies or anything, Joe? No. Uh, yeah, I'm allergic to marmalade glasses. That's what's cut me arm. <laughs> you donut. Uh, we have to do, take your blood pressure because we can't give morphine if your blood pressure is below ninety. Oh, but it hurts. Uh, just give me. Some... I'm sure it's going to hurt. We're, we're going we're to get you sorted, Joe. Don't worry, mate. Just keep talking to me, mate. Keep. Keep, how did, stay awake. How did you? Uh, how did, oh, I'm feeling a bit drowsy now. How did you know to come here though? Anyway, who told you? Your mate Tom rung us, Joe. Oh fucking! Don't listen to Tom. He ain't got a clue what he's talking about, mate. Yeah, honestly, it's fine. He's pretty on the ball. This I'll, one. I'll be all right, mate. I'll just put a plaster on it. Oh, sorry for wasting your time. Just Happy before days, you mate. go, you got any paracetamol? I had a few too many last night. <laughs> so uh, can you have a quick go in your van as well? Can you blue yeah, light, course, mate. blue light me to Papa John's or something? The best thing about being a paramedic is be able to chat someone. If you can chat someone, like the medical stuff you can learn. Part of the buzz for me is just meeting people. I, it sound, again, it sounds like a real cliche. I just love chatting to people. I love going to people's houses, speaking to them. Like being a paramedic is really, really, really privileged because you get to go into people's houses, chat to them. Like they're inviting you in their home when they're potentially at their worst, lowest moment. And you can just chat to them. That's part of the good thing for me. But being a paramedic, that's the buzz for me. Your, your dog is, um, I think your dog is distressed by the fish again. If you need to let him out at any point, Steve, you just say, we can go to an ad break. Easiest thing in the world. I, I'll show that out now, could we? You let the dog out, we'll have some right. adverts. Sorry, guys. <laughs> I like what you've done there, Tom. This episode is sponsored by Bob Hope. Bob has a black Labrador called Dougie who spends four hours a day walking in the woods behind his house. To be more like Bob, go to patreon.com forward slash Joe Marler show and grow the show. This episode is also sponsored by Dave Darking. His best friend is his on and off girlfriend of 25 years. On and off for 25 years. Fucking hell. Make a decision. Ugh. <laughs> He likes the TV show Vikings, and his favourite drinking buddies are King, Lewis and Tristan. Thank you, Dave. To be more like Dave, you know what you've got to do. Go to patreon.com forward slash Joe Marler Show and grow the show. And this episode is sponsored by Josh Buckley, not Jeff Buckley, who sang Hallelujah, Hallelujah. 
also sung by Alexandra Burke, off of The X Factor. His favourite fruit is the candy floss grape. Oosh. He cooks kidney bean enchiladas for his vegetarian partner and adds a pack or two, not just one, two, of chili heatwave Doritos on top. Go on, Josh. To be more like Bob, Dave and Josh, go to patreon.com forward slash Joe Marler Show and grow the show. Steve, what's your dog called? Quinn. Quinn? Yeah. Brilliant. What a name. Here we go. Are there certain nights of the year, Steve? Like, we always assume that maybe like New Year's Eve is going to be busy for you and stuff like that. But what about other nights of the year? What, what are the peak nights for paramedics? I think officially the busiest night for the ambulance service is the Friday before Christmas, when everyone has out their Christmas leave parties and stuff like that. I think that's officially the busiest night. Like Halloween's always a good one as well. What do you mean good? Like, <laughs> well, obviously people are always out, and a lot of time when Halloween, especially, are people drunk people are funny, and when they're happy drunks, it's brilliant. I love it. So you go to a patient and they're drunk and like they're covered in blood, and you're like, shit, like I'll treat treat this. And you're like, oh no, mate, it's fine. It's all part of my costume. I've just like stubbed my toe or whatever. Or my, my mate's drunk, and you're like, shit. <laughs> like I've got I've got these nightclubs before on Halloween, and like there's been werewolves and vampires and like zombies and mummies all in the nightclub. And you're like, <laughs> right, who's actually the patient here? Come on. <laughs> I've had to ring someone's mum a couple of times when they they've been drunk to come get them. How old was this person? Twenty two, twenty three, something like that. Oh, his mum gave him a beating. Oh, he's hilarious. Did she? Oh. Yeah, she probably yeah. like grabbed him by the ear, literally by the ear, picked him up, smacked him around the ear and threw him in the back of the car. And I thought, shit, all right, fair one. What's your go-to meal deal or place of worship when it comes to the fast food industry? Uh, meal deals, a Boots meal deals are the best, in my opinion. Really? A Boots meal deal is really good. What would you go for in that? Probably like a chicken club. Maybe one of those branded fruit smoothies. When do you get the chance to eat those, Steve? Because I imagine you're quite busy, like you're zooming around, and it probably wouldn't go down that well if you're, like your left hand is tying a tourniquet around Joe's severed artery, ah, and your right hand is gripping a, the right hand is gripping a chicken club from Boots. Well, we, we on a tire shift, we get two 30-minute breaks. But generally, sandwiches, you sort of, you pick up a patient, you take him to hospital, and then you have handover, then you get a coffee at the end. So you might have a bite of sandwich then. On the way to a job, we got pretty, we're pretty resilient. To be fair, like like you sat around the crew room and you're eating your lunch. It could be whatever it is, and people are telling you stories, and you're just like, "Oh right, yeah, fair one, fair one." And it could be like hoarders who've been like like pooing in buckets for months and months. And you're know, sat sat there eating your stew. You're like, "Oh right, yeah, fair one." Yeah, <laughs> pretty resilient for it. To be fair, what do you mean? <laughs> Hang on, you just dropped in. You'd be sat around the, where where would you be sat around like the staff room or in something? the crew room? Yeah, basically the crew room. Yeah, staff room. It, have you just made that up or someone's gone, yeah, I've just been to a hoarder's house who shits in a bucket for the last eight years? Yeah, one of my uh, one of the guys on my team. So, like, there was rubbish, papers everywhere. There was, like, pots and pans which were full of urine and feces all over the shop. And then we're sat there having, like, having our lunch, and he's like, yeah, it was horrible. I mean, you do see some horrendous stuff. What's the worst thing that you've you've ever seen? There's loads of different ones. I get asked this question a lot. Like, people always want to hear about, like, the blood and the gore, about the mangled bodies and stuff like that. Um, unfortunately, I've been to several, like, pediatric arrests that have been unsuccessful. So, unfortunately, I've seen, like, a two-year-old die. I've seen people, like, 
at the lowest point in life when they've had no other choice but to, to commit suicide. But to me, what I always find the worst one is when we ever go to cardiac arrest, it's unsuccessful. We have to tell the families. So if you tell your family like, oh, I'm really sorry, but your, your husband's died or your, even your daughter's died or your, your wife's died. It's quite a horrific thing to see their face. Like you can almost see it that someone they've been with every day for 30, 40, 50 years. And you've just told them that they, they've died. When we do like cardiac arrests, we have different people do different parts. Someone will be on logistics. Someone will be on airway. Someone will be on chest compressions. And whoever's doing the family liaison role, who will be coming back, getting updates from us, keeping the family updated. That job is hands down the hardest part of that job. Any arrest, dealing with the family, like having those emotions day in, day out. That's by far the hardest thing. Like, yeah. I guess the way you put that there is that everyone always wants to hear about the gore and, you know, people's arms bent backwards or the spikes that have come through people that you've had to go and see. And it's always that sort of weird human nature side of wanting to know that bit. And you Mm -hmm. quite quickly forget that's someone's son or that that's someone's daughter or father and that lot. And you forget about the emotional side of it and pretty tough. How how do you deal with that though? How do you deal with having to tell someone that they're, their daughter or son's died or, or that side of it so we do have like we have training in it as well um he's gonna be really compassionate and like i always try and put myself in their shoes and how i'd want to be told we do have to be straightforward we can't say oh they've passed away they've gone to a better place we have to say they have died so then there's no confusion oh they've, they've gone to a better place oh well where have they gone have they gone to the shops or they've passed away oh well, where have they passed away too <laughs> So we have to stay. For fuck's sake. I thought I thought we were kitted onto the more serious, darker side of the thingy. And you've still managed to turn around and go. Oh, they've gone to a better place. Where? Where have they gone? They've gone Waitrose, have they? Fuck me. Right. I'll tell you what, the paramedics have got a really dark sense of humour. And I think that's one of the ways where you have to have it a little bit to cope. So like we could go to a job and like, Someone could trip getting out of the van on the way to the job. And then that will be the funny bit of that job. So then you cling on to that funny bit of that job, not the horrendous bit you've done. But yeah, coping wise, my wife's phenomenal. Like I chat to her about everything. My team I work with is phenomenal. We always debrief jobs. So when we go to a big, like horrible job, it's recognizing signs in your colleagues that they, that job might have affected them a little bit. And then speaking to them about it and like picking up on key little things like not sleeping or... Maybe they're having four beers instead of three beers and like just little patterns that you pick up on. And then we can signpost them to more qualified professional people for help to talk to. And it's all about like the stigma of like what you guys were saying in your previous shows, like it's okay to not be okay. Like you can, we don't have to be big and brave all the time. We can say like, oh, actually that job pretty messed me up. I need to have a chat with someone about it. And that's the right thing to do. Don't try and plod along and, be big and tough about it and be like, oh, yeah, I've got to do this because I'm wearing a green uniform. It's, that's all bollocks. If you're feeling affected by something, then tell someone. Because my wife, she listens to me all the time. Some of the jobs, like she'll she'll nitpick about, even though she's not medical. And other times she'll just sit there and listen because she knows like it was quite a serious job for me. What's been the toughest period for you, Steve? What's been either the, the, the single toughest night that you had or the, something you saw that, that tested you the most? It was my first ever pediatric cardiac arrest I went to and it was unsuccessful and the whole job was absolutely a shit show. And years and years ago, I used to smoke. And so me and my crewmate, we were about two hours late off for this job. We've just seen, I think she was three or four, this little girl die. 
So I went to the local Tesco's and I was standing in the queue in Tesco's and I was like, can I just have a packet of 10 cigarettes, please? And the cashier was like, tell you if tells what brand you want. I, was like, I don't care. I just want the cheapest cigarettes and just a box of matches. And then the guy behind me tapped me on the shoulder. and was like, um, they're bad for you. Someone in your position should know better. And I was like, brilliant. Thanks, sir. Thanks very much. Thank you. I just want to say, look, mate, you have no idea what I've just fucking been through. I want a cigarette and just piss off. But because I'm in my uniform, I'm in a public place and I'm buying cigarettes. You have to be polite and be like, yeah, thank you. Like, bite your tongue. And so that's quite difficult to remain professional. If you're in that situation again, Steve, I would really, really like to see you <laughs> get all 10 cigarettes lined up in your mouth straight away, light them all, <laughs> big drag, and then just go, fuck off. And then, <laughs> and then walk away. Well, I had that cigarette and I felt sick afterwards. I hadn't smoked for about six years before that. So it was awful. I just felt sick then. It was horrible. You can see why that would happen though, Joe, can't you? Like both of us, the things that we do for a living are remarkably easy. So I, I could see how the stresses of that job would change you. And I could see how people might lean on the booze a bit more, almost to like switch their brains off a little bit. Yeah, there is, a, there is quite a link between stress and the ambulance service and shift work and burnout and things like that. Just because the calls are getting more and more, people are expecting more and more from the ambulance service, from the NHS. Like people expect us to turn up and have an instant click and fix. And when we can't do it, sometimes they get a bit pissy with us. So it does get a bit stressful. And especially with everything that's going on at the moment with COVID, because uh, we were doing the intensive care transfers. So we were like, going to different hospitals where their intensive care unit was full up taking patients out of there, transferring them to other hospitals, and we were in the back of the ambulance in like full PPE, sweating out like, ridiculously hot for three, four, five hours at a time. And then you sort of just boil over, and then it gets quite stressful in those sort of situations. But yeah, you can see why people do tend to drink, definitely. Yeah. So, Steve, you've, you've touched on COVID times there. Can you just give us a bit of an insight into, into what it's been like? It is ridiculous. Like it, you're waiting three, four hours to offload a patient at a hospital. The hospitals are ridiculously busy. The nurses, the doctors, intensive cares, everyone in the hospital, they're all just getting slammed day in, day out. The ambulance service is getting slammed day in, day out. We're trying to do as much as we can for everyone. And it does get difficult. It does get a bit disheartening when you finish a really long day, you've seen so many patients, and then like you go to St. Andrews, pick a pint of milk. There's people walking around without a mask on. It's just like, mate, just, just put a mask on. I've just transferred someone for four hours intensive care, like a 40-year-old just been intubated because of COVID, and you won't wear a fucking mask. Just put a mask on. What's, what's the drama over that? And you get people who like the naysayers who say it's all fake, and you're just like, I just haven't got the energy to argue with you. I'm too tired. Also stressful as well, because I've got two young kids. I've got a five-year-old and a three-year-old. I was paranoid I was going to bring it home and give it to them. Like That's the worst part for me was just the thought I could potentially bring it home and like, make my kids sick from doing my work. What about the point, Steve? So I find the idea that you've got to tell someone their child has died, I find that unimaginable. What about the other side of the coin where someone thinks a loved one is slipping away and you rock up and because your training and your skills and the work you're doing, your colleague, you manage to, I was going to say bring them back from the dead, but you know what I mean? You manage to save their life. How does that feel? I always like jobs where you can see that see your effects helping. Like someone who's diabetic, if they're having a hypo, you can give them some glucose and you can see them come around. That's really nice. I went to someone the other day who's accidentally was taking like 40 times too much insulin. Why did, why did he take 40 times too much insulin? His wife gave him the wrong one. So his wife gave him his oh. um, daytime insulin instead of his nighttime insulin. How do you know she wasn't doing a Sharon from EastEnders who's been slowly killing off Ian Bill? 
and you've you've rumbled her. He was fine. He was sat there being like, all right, fellas, how's it oh. going? Sorry to call you out. She was going absolutely banzai. She's like, I've killed my husband. I'm gonna, he's going to die. He's going to die. What do I do? What do I do? And I'm like, that's okay. Like, right, so are you okay? Yeah, fine. Right, you sit down. You're like, carry on eat, drinking your glass of Coke. We'll sort this out. Like, calm her down and then make sure she was all right. Sometimes it's not about the patient. Sometimes it's more about the family. Um, what's the goriest or the worst thing you've ever seen where the patient's survived so it's not like dark dark but like thing because i remember watching um afterlife and this this lady she was in the paper it, ricky gervais come around to see her because she's in the paper because she'd had a metal spike go through her and it missed a liver or a thing she said if it was an inch closer to her inside she'd have died that was part of the story mm-hmm. But she was quite a, a big lady, very overweight. And I remember yeah, her, no, yeah, yeah. him turning around and going, you, you know the one? He was like, yeah, but if you were a little bit skinnier, you wouldn't have been impaled at all. And she was like, yeah, but that's not the point. And it was like, no, no, that is the point. So that's that's what I'm picturing. What's the, For you, what's the goriest or the worst thing you've seen where someone survived? I went to an RTC when I was a third-year student. So it's a road traffic collision. And uh, some guy was driving with his arm on the window like as you do and he kept pulled it around about and then a lorry sort of sideswiped him and so I w- we arrived up and seen with my mentor nothing phased him ever so i got in the back of the truck back of this land rover and i was assessing him he's like my chest hurts he's like, right cool do a full assessment i'm being watched now so i did a full assessment and he's like my arm hurts so i was like all right yeah mate no worries he had like a t-toe on his arm and i was like all right yeah no he did the full assessment did full top to toe as i was taught Taking it all off. And he's like, yeah, mate, my arm hurts. Like, yeah, mate, don't worry. We'll get to that in a minute. It's like, we're more worried about your chest pain. Let's sort it out. And he pulled his tea towel off his arm and he degloved his entire arm down to the bone. Like, he just pulled, like, his arms fleshed over. Oh. So, I degloving is when you take the skin, the muscle, and the flesh off. So, it's like, basically, pretend oh. like, like your hand and your skin come off as well. So, he degloved his arm down to the bone. Oh. And I was like, oh. But shit, all right, yeah, let's sort that one out, mate. Let's cover that back over the detail. Oh. And he's just saying, my arm hurts. Yeah. That's how he's describing He's being degloved. He's going, yeah, it just stings. It's my arm smarts a little. It was literally like that. Yeah, he's like, oh, mate, my arm hurts as well. Is this the hardest man in Britain? Oh, that is horrible. Yeah, so that was pretty bad. But his chest hurt because obviously seatbelt, airbags, such like that. And I was like, right, okay, chest, that's, that's the important injury. Let's, let's sort that out. And yeah, the, the guy degloved his arm and I was like, fuck. All right. Yeah, no worries. That's pretty bad. Just sort that one out. If you are degloved, um, does stuff grow back? Can you be regloved over time? Yeah. So on that job, Hems were there as well. The helicopter emergency medical services, like critical care team. They flew them down to Southampton, down to plastic surgery, and the bloke actually was home for Christmas. So it's quite a nice. Really good outcome. He was regloved in time for Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> what a treat. <laughs> An absolute treat. Teeth always freak me out. Like people have teeth injuries and nail injuries. I don't like those injuries. What do you mean teeth injuries? If someone gets like hit in the mouth and like their teeth are like hanging out, and I don't like those jobs. I don't like teeth. And I don't like nails as well. Right. Okay. You're fine. You're completely fine with dealing with someone who's degloved their arm, mm-hmm. but someone who's knocked a tooth out, you're like, fuck. No, I'm steering clear of that one. <laughs> yeah, because like, I thought of trying to put it back in. Like, no, I can't do that. No, I don't like it. <laughs> And what about the nail one? So like, I've been someone who's like, they've caught a finger in a door and like the nail's hanging off. <laughs> I hate that. Because you know, you know how that's bad and that's to be painful. Oh, no. What, but degloving's no walk in the park. <laughs> no, it's not. It's not. No. <laughs> no. I, lo- I, lo- I love that. We, we, had a, we had a question from Matthew. I like this question. Matthew wants to know, 
How awkward a shift when your colleague has got crap chat? It's hard. It's a hard. It's a hard twelve hours. It really is. You work with some people, and like the time just flies. You look at your clock. You start at seven, and you check your watch again. And like you finish in twenty minutes. And other people, like you check your clock again. And it's like oh, fuck. It's only been five minutes. <laughs> it is hard. It's very hard. What are you doing? What are you doing in between jobs to kill time? Well, if if it's someone you go out with, you just chat about shit, chat about family life. You do really wonderful like little games and stuff like that. I spy. Yeah, I spy. Or like, do you know the game? Would you rather? Oh, I, I I love. Would you rather? Yeah, we do that quite a lot. Would you rather have a vagina on your forehead or a spine of fully working dicks? <laughs> um, probably a spine. Would you? But they're fully working, so like. If someone just, you know, started stroking your back a little bit, all twelve. How many vertebrates have you got? Vertebrae? Twelve, I think. 12. Okay, so you've got twelve flaccid penises on your in as your spine, and someone's massaging your back a little bit, and one gets a little bit happy, and then the, all twelve get happy. So you, they're fully working, they're fully functioning. You've got twelve <laughs> erect penises on your back, like a dirty dinosaur. Yeah, that is a filthy dinosaur. Or you've just got one vagina. And also the vagina on your forehead is also fully working. I don't know. Like, <laughs> it's like uh, the thoughts. <laughs> I probably have to go. I'd have to go with the back. I'd have to go with the back. So what, what about you two? I'm worried about the comfort of having 12 penises on my back. Like, if you're driving, if you're doing your, your 10, 12-hour shift, Steve, mm. and you're driving about, that's a lot of squash back penis. That is true, yeah. That is true. Yeah. <laughs> thing is, the vagina on the forehead thing, like in your case, Steve, where you, as you said, a lot of the, the, your, the skill of your job is your chat, mm. is your bedside man. You go around with a vagina on your head, straight away the conversation is flowing. I know, but like, it'd be hard to do an assessment, like trying to do a serious assessment, and I've got a vagina on my forehead. How am I supposed to do a proper assessment? Like, so, all right, okay, so tell me about your chest pain. Oh, or can you imagine telling someone that their mum's died and you've got a vagina on your forehead? Yeah, but you could, you've got 12 dicks on your back. Yeah, but you've got a coat on. You've got a coat on, haven't you? <laughs> <laughs> Why are we talking about this? Yeah, but you say you wear a coat, you can wear a hat. Yeah. Okay, so what are you got? You have to choose. There's a there's a gun to your head. You have to choose three, two, one, go. I'd probably go for the back. Yeah, okay, cool. Tom? The forehead vagina for me, please. Are you? Are you going with the forehead? This is more discreet. Yeah, uh, the spine of penises, if they were to all work, which they are, that is in this case, I mean, it could be quite impressive. It could be quite hard to manoeuvre if you're actually going to use them for intercourse. If you need if you need the toilet, do they all wee? So imagine trying oh, to yeah. piss. See, you haven't thought, Steve, you haven't thought this through, mate. Imagine trying to go to the toilet. I never thought this through. You're, you're arching back. Okay, there's one. and then next, but, Or they don't go one at a time. They all go at the same time. Or it's lucky dip. You never know which one's going to go. The worst part is about this conversation, like my boss said, oh, can I listen to this podcast afterwards? I was like, yeah, of course, <laughs> I'm sure you can. Probably say to him, no, mate, it didn't happen now. Sorry, it got cancelled. <laughs> oh, fuck. Oh, what have we done? Steve's boss, if you are listening to this, uh, I apologise on behalf of um, the Joe Marler Show for Tom's behaviour and disgusting tone throughout. Um, I've loved chatting to you, Steve, so thank you for taking the time to speak to us. Thank you for having me. Could you just reassure me that some, at least some of your wife's fish are still alive because I can't see the tank anymore. Uh, yeah, about 75% are good. 
Oh, well, that's a decent number. <laughs> that's, yeah, that's, that's right. That's big enough. Um, Steve, I put out a message saying if people had any questions to send in and they did but a lot of the messages i got back were can you just say a massive thank you to whoever it is that's coming on as your paramedic because of the times that we're living in at the minute and how grateful we all are for the hard work you and all your colleagues do so i'm just here passing all of those messages on as well as from me and tom saying thank you so much mate you're not just during covid times but every time you do an incredible job so thanks for coming on and, and giving us an insight into into your world thank you next time i next time i cover bears harlequins game at ashton gate i'll say hello well joe it's another hugely enjoyable episode that for me what a nice man steve paulie was and he didn't even turn out to be poorly he seemed quite well to me yeah i thought he was really good i like the way he spoke about the darker side of being a paramedic and how emotionally um, distressing it can be at times um, but I also liked hearing all the shenanigans that go on in the ambulances that ninor around the land we shouldn't forget that if you want to support this show not you Joe because you support it by being on it if you're listening to this show and you fancy supporting it search for Joe Marler Show on Patreon sign yourself up over there for extra content all heaps of beautiful stuff if you want another podcast to listen to Joe We'd like to recommend, and I'll let you do this bit. I don't actually know any of the words to the French national anthem, but I would say it is my second favourite anthem to listen to i actually sometimes sing along to it when it's being played in the stadium like rugby viva the france renault clios and uh, other french cars anyway what's the name of this podcast joe that we encouraging people to listen to yes yes i would like to recommend the french Le french rugby podcast with benjamin kaiser and Ari johnny Beatty. just to clarify if that wasn't clear the podcast is called Le french rugby podcast we're in the middle of the six nations so if you want to know what actually goes on inside french rugby benji and johnny are the guys to listen to just search for french rugby in your podcast app it'll come up Tom, tell me now, who is on our next episode, please? It's a poker player. Not any old poker player, a professional player of poker. Someone who's made their living from the high-stakes game that's called poker. A card shop. All the best now. Crowd Network. A place where you belong. Podcast Network.